0: we tell you, gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for this our dreadful toadying. And, and the very best But you're so strong and, well, just so super. Fantastic. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Prayer. Yeah. You're doing it wrong, right? Uh, at least it feels that way sometimes, that prayer has to be you know, some elaborate, uh, ritualistic set of weird words and very formal and austere and all those things. And, but it's uh, one of those things that doesn't always come naturally. And so for the next few weeks, uh, my name is Jason, by the way, one of the pastors here along with uh, Scott and Mike and, and the crew here at Artisan. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to look at this area of prayer. We've actually just entered this wonderful season of Lent. It's that time in the church calendar that uh, began on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, which was part of the Immersed in some of the artwork and prayer stations around here. As Scott said, take advantage of those. But those 40 days, apart from the Sundays, leading up to that, that tragedy and triumph of Easter and preparing ourselves, and so we thought it'd be helpful to, uh, to dig a little deeper in this area of prayer, hopefully encourage one another, you know, we're not going to try to beat each other up, that we're not terribly good at this is one of the reasons we're tackling this um, more fully, and really practice it. So not only talk about it, which is one of those things we're also good at, I'm certainly good at talking about stuff, but practice, uh, do some praying, do some ways of praying throughout the coming weeks. That'll hopefully be helpful for you connecting with God and hearing from Him and responding. And so uh, so today, though, we're going to focus on that most simplest, that most simple area of prayer in the form of that Lord's Prayer, that our daily bread kind of prayer, just when we ask for needs to be met. And so uh, I remember when I first came to understand prayer, even a little bit, wasn't really taught it in my family setting quite so much. We, you know, didn't didn't do church, didn't uh, get involved in that kind of stuff. But when we visit my grandparents, who were about, oh, they lived in Enfield, Maine, a couple two and a half hours uh, south of where we lived, and spend you know weeks or weekends with them quite frequently. And it was sometime around the age of four or five, that as my grandmother was tucking me into the bed there and probably read a story and all that good stuff and. She taught me that prayer. Maybe some of you guys remember this from childhood or even those who are parents. Maybe you teach this to your kids. That now I lay me down to sleep. Anyone anyone say that with me? It's now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Which, you know, for our modern sensibilities, I don't know, death and Some soul taker coming into a four-year-old's room may not seem appropriate, but for whatever reason, it was a very peaceful prayer to me. And to be fair, when that prayer was no doubt developed, when that little rhyme was put together it's probably, you know, 19th century Chicago with cholera or, you know, polio outbreaks, and waking up in the morning wasn't always a foregone conclusion. So at least the way I received that prayer, it was somewhat comforting to know that no matter what happened, even while I could do nothing about it, there was a God who would be willing to receive me and, and care and protect. And, and God probably looked a lot like my grandparents. You know, was, you know, that, was the, that was the picture I had. Uh, you know, so that's one of the prayers I've taught my kids uh, as, as we've learned to pray together. And uh, I also taught them the other version. Maybe Grant and Heath, you guys know the other version. Now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of candy at my feet. If I should die before I wake, you'll know it's from a bellyache. You know, yeah. So there's good ways of praying, and maybe not so good, right? That, uh, that don't always work. And so that's what we want to dive into and figure out. Because it turns out that even the disciples didn't have a great grasp of prayer. You'd think you know, Jesus would have picked you know, some of the best and the brightest. Uh, the fact that he didn't is very good news for me and you. Uh, but they didn't quite get prayer the way they wanted to. And so in the Gospel of Luke, we have this wonderful account of them wanting to learn about prayer. And Jesus uh, teaching them. And so if, you're, if you want to flip there, it's so Luke chapter 11. If you're using the Red Bibles, it's on page 845. But the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, there in the New Testament, page 845 if you're using the Red Bibles. And here we have just verse one. We'll just start right there. Good place to start. It says that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. You know, John the Baptist uh, had, you know, done his thing. and Some of his disciples were actually now in Jesus' crew there. Um, would you say that with me? Just that one little phrase. Go ahead and say this. Lord, teach us to pray. So when we say that, what are we expressing? Well, we're starting off by asking the right person. But we're also admitting that maybe prayer doesn't come naturally. You would know, like to think that prayer is just one of those things you know how to do, right? I don't think so. I think it's best learned. Now, I think the impulse to pray, to cry out for help or to, to want something to change or to express a need, to wish that the chaos was calmed or the brokenness was healed, that impulse, I think that's very natural. But whether it's because of a fallen world our own sinfulness, our own shortcomings, the connection between the impulse and truly connecting with God, that's something that requires some learning, perhaps. And so the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, which is interesting because of all the cool things Jesus did, you remember some of them, you know, walking on water, raising Lazarus from the dead, you know, casting out the demons into the pigs and then sending them off the cliff. You know, if I were asking for stuff to be taught, just being honest, I'd probably go for the water trick. Uh, that'd be one I'd like to do. Uh, maybe the pigs also. That'd be kind of cool. But they ask him to teach them to pray. So there must have been something profound that they recognized as they as they watched Jesus in his earthly relationship with his heavenly father, that they said, that is better than walking on water, sending pigs over a cliff, and raising some from the dead any day. Uh, Maybe they didn't quite say that, but they did say, Lord, teach us to pray. And so how can we learn this? Well, Jesus gives them a really simple, it's barely even instructions. It's just a pattern, something they might follow. And It continues there in Luke chapter 11, verses two through four. Jesus said to them, "When you pray, say, "Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial." So you, you recognize some of the wording there that, that surprise anyone? when you heard the prayer that way compared to what we prayed earlier? It's like it's the cliff note version, right? It's, it's the uh, short form for those now doing your taxes. You know, if, if, it's, if it's sort of an easy prayer, not a lot of things to claim, no, no deductions, do this prayer. You know, the, if you have more things, go the longer one, right? Well, probably it's the most primitive form. Uh, Luke, who wanted to go back to original sources, uh, he, he says there in the opening of, of his gospel account, go back to the eyewitness accounts, this may have been the raw, original piece. Before it got a little bit dressed up and polished, uh, Matthew, who we'll look at in a little bit, also has a version of this prayer that's a lot closer to what we used. Matthew, perhaps, is drawing it from how it was already being used in the worship setting. But I, I think it's neat that it's, it's such a, an austere and simple and very primitive prayer When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive our sins, as we forgive everyone indebted to us, and do not bring us to the time of trial. (laughs) And it strikes me that it must not be a magic phrase, some incantation, because it certainly would have, you know, would have rhymed at least, you know, abracadabra, alakazam, give me um, good stuff, um, if you give a damn, you know, it might be one of those rhyming prayers. Uh, but no, it's real simple. And I think it's not meant to be a rote prayer, R-O-T-E, that we just sort of repeat over and over again. Even though Jesus says, when you pray, say this, Matthew makes it look clear that it's, it's more of a pattern to pray. But really, it's, it's just that, that pattern. And so I want us to go a little deeper into what we could do with that pattern of praying, just very practically how we might make that a pattern in our prayer life, but before we get to that, it might be worth pausing and asking, "What are the expectations we have of prayer?" You know, next week Scott's going to preach on unanswered prayer, and the week after I'm going to ta- tackle uh, another easy topic: uh, does prayer change God? Um, so we're just talking this week, though, on the basic stuff. Okay, we'll get into. But what are some of the basic expectations? And we'll do the nuances and the craziness in the next couple weeks. What are expectations of God? What is God's expectation of us? And so here's what Jesus says. He does it in the the form of a story. Instead of some theological explanation or a Sunday school lesson, he just tells this real simple story that captures the expectations, or begins to at least. So it's in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 8. Jesus said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And this guy answers from within, you know, because he's yelling through the wall there, everything's shut down for the night. He answers from within, you know, go away, do not bother me. The doors are I been locked, my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. You know, to uh, to shut down the household for the night was a bit of an ordeal. You you barred the door basically. You it wasn't just you know throwing a deadbolt or putting the chain on there. You sort of secured yourself in. And most households were just one big room or two at the most. And so what had been the kitchen and the living room and whatever during the day was transformed into the bedroom at night, and so everyone's kind of You know, all there on their sleeping mats and the kids are tucked in asleep. And for him to get up and get some bread for this guy is going to disrupt all that. So he says, as we all would, go away. In verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, at least because of the guy who's asking, because of his persistence, oh, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So, those, there's more to the whole story there, but what's the expectation then of us? Do you notice the persistence that's required? That at the very least, Jesus is saying that prayer should be something that we stick with for a little while. And I'm kind of curious, you don't need to raise your hand, but any of you do what I've done at, at times and had a need and sort of thrown at it a lazy prayer. Just sort of vaguely God make things right or forgive me for all my sins. I, I, I don't have time to go over them right now, but you, you know what they are. And then also lazy because you just try it the one time and it's, you know, it's, it's close of business day. You know, where's the answer to the prayer? Ah, oh, screw that. You know, I'll just go fix it myself. Of course, you make it worse usually. The persistence. Now, what that says about God, do we have to go nag and pound on his door and stuff? Jesus clarifies that a little bit. But I I like that he starts with us needing to be persistent. That lazy prayers and and really lazy prayers, is not a great way to approach this thing. Maybe part of why we've not had great experiences with prayer is because we gave up too quickly. We didn't make a whole lot of efforts. Could be. But then he says, he starts shifting towards the expectations we might have of God. Because if you just stop there, you might think God is sort of a cranky guy that, you know, only has business hours. And don't bother him unless you really want to pound on his door. You might get that impression where Jesus wants to clear that up. And so verse 9 and 10, he gets a little more directive. He says, So I say to you, ask. And it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock. And that door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And so it begins with sort of expectations on us. But what does it mean to ask for something that you need? What does that mean? What does that say about us as we go through this process? Ask, search, knock. To go ask someone for something probably requires some humility. If you're a proud person, do you want to go ask because you can't take care of it yourself? If you're easily embarrassed, do you want to go ask because I ran out of bread? I've been—I've known for weeks this guy is coming, uh, or he just showed up and I don't have any. What are people going to think? And so to go ask anyone, let alone God, requires some humility. But along with humility, it also requires some discernment, because you don't just want to ask anyone. The guy in the story—he knows who to go to for bread at midnight. This guy's going to have three loaves, easy. He's not asking the, uh, the guy who the day before asked him for bread because he was out at noon. You know, he's not asking the wrong... He's got some discernment. And that's important. You know, one, one of the wonderful things I think God does here at Artisan is make this a very safe place for, for people who are all over the spectrum of, of beliefs and where they are with God and, and how that's working out. But I wouldn't be doing anyone any favors if I just sort of generically said pray, and things will be better. You know, know, read the secret, watch Oprah, you know, just just throw your wishes out. You know, and they'll come back to you. You know, they they won't. You know, they probably won't. Because if you ask the guy without bread, it doesn't matter how long you ask, how hard you ask, how much you bang on the door, if he doesn't have bread, neither will you. (laughs) And so if we're asking in spiritual ways the wrong God whether it's sort of in scare quotes, it's something that we organize our life around, or, I don't know, is a different God than the God revealed in Scripture and through Christ, then whatever answers we might get to those prayers, um, I'm not sure, actually, I am pretty sure, not going to be the best ones. More times than not, there's not going to be anything there. Uh, So asking is an act of humility and discernment. Then he goes on and says, search. Sounds like some more work again, right? It's that persistence thing. But what does searching also tell us about prayer? Does it take a little effort? Might there be a process to this? Could it be a bit of a journey? Which, again, for this crew, we're all about the process and the journey. So it's really great to have that affirmed. That it doesn't have to be instant answers and and, and easy throwaway um, solutions. But there there might be a journey and a process to this searching. And then I love how he finishes with that metaphor of knocking. So think of the situations in your life that you, you knock on a door. What's going on there? Before we see how much that applies to God... What is assumed in the act of knocking on a door? What are you doing? What are you expressing? Any thoughts on that? Go ahead and shout some of those out. Why do you knock on doors? Answer. To get an answer. It's polite. Okay? Answer, polite. Other folks. Say a little louder so other folks can hear you. You have a need. How about you, Grant. To make yourself known so they know you're there. Great. Yeah. Encyclopedias. Sell encyclopedias. We had Girl Scout cookies this morning. Encyclopedias. So this, is a, this is a more erudite crowd. The morning, they wouldn't even know what that meant. Yeah. They're all about the cookies. That, or at least that ah, yes. Interesting. You presume there is a, a host or hostess on the other side, perhaps. Sure, if, you know, or old man... You know, Wembley's place on Halloween night. Uh, I don't know where that came from. Many years of watching Scooby-Doo, no doubt. So in knocking, there's, there's something being said. And at the very least, we're not barging in. And it's a little different than the humility part of the asking. I think it has more to do with a bit of reverence and respect. And all the other things that were said There's aspects that all in there And it's a way of admitting That just because we're asking Doesn't mean we're going to get it (laughs) And no matter how special I think I am Or how loudly I've yelled Or how long I've been doing it Or banging on the wall uh, It's not like I deserve an answer Even if I think I do Um, And so that metaphor of knocking just recognizes that God's the one who opens the door. That we can't barge in and sort of wrestle him to our will and take over the house. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting process to work through those three things. And Jesus very simply says, and again, the next couple of weeks after this, we'll get into the, the nuances of how that works out. But I don't think we're being silly to just sort of trust in the simplicity that if you ask, search, and knock, you will receive answers. You will find something. You will have doors open. Now, whether that always happens or not, experientially it doesn't seem to be the case that every time we ask we get the answer we want. Whenever we search, we find what we're looking for. Bono still hasn't. Uh, (laughs) Or that we knock and it might be on the wrong door. There might not be anyone behind that door number one. And we might have to try door number two or door number three. But I bet you, if you don't ask and you don't search and you don't knock, how many answers, what do you find, what doors get open? That's a guaranteed answer right there. Zero. As Jaron used to say, zero. There's nothing. He doesn't say that anymore. So ask, search, knock. The expectations. And then Jesus makes it even clearer of what kind of God we're coming before. Because so far, if we just stop there, he's this cranky guy who happens to have lots of bread, but, you know. And if you ask, seek, knock, he'll give you stuff. So we may kind of have this sort of bipolar God that we're looking at here, um, depending on what mood you find him in. And so Jesus sort of lands this part of it in verses 11 through 13. And whether you're a parent or not, I think this should hit home. I think everyone here has parents. Check your navel. Everyone? Okay. We've all had parents, and we certainly can relate to this. And for those who are parents, this hits home too. But Jesus says, verse 11 through 13, if there's anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish, now again, it depends on the child. There's, there's exceptions to this rule, depending on your kid. But let's think of, you know, sort of the, the constricting, crushing, or poisonous, bitey, fangy snakes. Those kind. Not the kind that the guy across the road used to have and would bring out and Jaren would play with. That's a different kind. I love living in the city. Uh But if your child asked for a fish, a delicious fish fillet, would you give him a poisonous, bitey, crushing snake uh, instead of a fish? Verse 12. Or if a child asked for an egg, will you slip him a scorpion? If you then. I'm going to warn you. Jesus is going to say something very mean right now. I just want you to be ready. If you then, who are evil, that's all of us know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ask for bread, you can get the presence of God even. And so, it's comforting to me as we head into these next few weeks and try to wrap our hearts and heads around this idea of prayer that the truth of of those two verses right there gives us the right context for approaching this. In fact, I'd almost argue if you caught nothing else except the heart of that, those two verses, you could probably figure out a lot of the prayer stuff. You know, I think, as a dad, uh, I have an almost 12-year-old, 12, 12 in April, 11-year-old uh, son, Jaron, and 9-year-old daughter, Bryn. And when they approach me to ask for something, My impulse, my instinct, my pleasure is to do what is best for them, to give them good gifts. Now, sometimes they ask for stupid stuff, and and I help them find a a different thing to ask for. When you pray, you will sometimes ask for stupid stuff. And God, because he's a loving heavenly father, will work with that. But it's good to know that we're not, you know, we're not beggars, you know, with hands out hoping for a crust of bread, or even orphans, you know, just for one more bowl, please, sir. We're not even mere acquaintances of God. You know, we run into him occasionally, and uh, you know, if you catch him at the right time, he's good for a favor or two. We're not even annoying neighbors, or we're not supposed to be annoying neighbors to God. We sometimes are. But that's not the way the relationship's supposed to work. Instead, as Jesus describes it, we are sons and daughters of this loving Heavenly Father. And it seems kind of sappy, doesn't it? Especially here at the Rated M for Mature crowd. We have a loving Heavenly Father. Would you prefer something else? So prayer, however confusing or poorly we do it, or all that we have to learn and figure out, it is awfully good to know that the one we are praying to is a loving Heavenly Father. So it's okay if we screw it up. It's okay if we ask for stupid stuff. He'll work that out. It's okay if we don't get it just quite right. He may even understand better than we do. Any parents relate to that? Any any of you guys here that aren't parents yet, but... You have parents. Have you ever, actually, we'll get to this. I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, so let's get to the, uh, more of that application part as we close up here in these last uh, few moments. Uh, but I think knowing that we have a loving Heavenly Father can give us all the encouragement we need to then practice prayer. To not just try it once and give up, but to practice it. Because we know he's not going to be like the the crazy dad on the side of the soccer field, you know, yelling at us because we did it wrong. Uh, He's actually going to be the player coach right out there working it out with us. So what does it look like? What does prayer look like practically? Sometimes it's helpful to paint a picture of what it doesn't look like. Uh, And so this is where we turn to Matthew's gospel. And as I said, Matthew has the more developed version. It might have been the one that was already used liturgically. By the time, you know, within that first generation, Matthew gathers all the materials for his gospel. And, you know, and he and Luke may have had some similar sources. Probably they had some different sources. And he brings in that prayer. And the form of it being a little more fleshed out is kind of interesting. Uh, first, I hope that doesn't freak people out that, that there's sort of Holy Spirit-inspired editing and compilations that go on in Scripture. Um, we have four Gospels, not because they're all duplicates of each other, but because they all speak to the same good news of Christ. And you know, There's going to be some nuances there. But what that tells me, that Matthew maybe has this more developed one, is that when Jesus taught his disciples this, they then taught others. It became part of like the catechism and the, the way we did, did worship, just as we used it. But anyway, Matthew chapter 6, and if you're using those red Bibles, it's on page 787. He paints the picture of what not to do and then some encouragement of what to do in prayer. He says, and whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. You want to say that one with me too? Just, Do you believe that? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That was a question I was going to ask if anyone's experienced that. As parents, you often can tell what your kid's coming with you to ask, coming at you with. Whatever. However, those words go together makes sense. Uh, but we've experienced it. Those of us who have parents, again, check your navel. You, you ever show up at your, in front of your parents, whether as a kid or even more spooky, as a, as a grown man or woman, and you're about to ask them something, and they already know, and, and hopefully they have a great answer and wisdom, and, or at least something funny uh, to say and so if us evil parents can occasionally get those things right, imagine you know, the insight God has. And so what this is telling us is prayer is not to impress others. You know, we don't get better at prayer so that someone will, You know, in case you didn't know this, it will not get you dates because you pray well. Um, now praying to get a good date, that's a different question, but just because you pray really well, that's not very impressive, unless you're at a very special kind of college. Uh, and, then, and then I'm praying for you at that point. Uh, prayer is not to impress God, because uh, you can't impress God, you, seriously. I can't, you can't. But it's the opportunity for God to impress something upon us and to work in our lives. And so prayer then reminds us that we need God daily. And so with all that backdrop, of what we can expect of ourselves, what we can expect of God a little bit. I want us to just practice prayer. And as I mentioned uh, in fact, I don't have the, the verse right there, but I think it's verse. might be verse nine. Someone want to read that for me? It's where, it's where Jesus then says, "When you pray, pray in this way. What does it say? Pray in this way. OK. And then he goes on to do the, the, basically the Lord's Prayer. But he says, pray in this way. Which, again, if we read Luke, it was like, say these words. We might confusingly think that. But I love how Matthew makes it, pray in this way. Not repeat after me, or make sure you, you know, dot every I and cross every T. But here's a pattern of prayer. And so, you may have you know, been praying for decades, and you've got this thing down. Fantastic. <laughs> Maybe this will be helpful to you to, to then share with someone else or with, with kids and someone else that you're working with in your life. Uh, but I think for a lot of us, it is really helpful to have some practical ways to sort of break through that log jam that we often feel of how to communicate with God. Um, my daughter, Bryn, uh, I don't know that she'd be embarrassed by this, but she's not here, so. But when she has a chance to pray, or sometimes when I, when I ask her to pray in, in different settings or when it's bedtime and, you know, we're getting ready to pray. And she doesn't quite know what to say. I just say, Bryn, go ahead and say, dear God. And for whatever reason, as soon as she gets the dear God out of her mouth, it sort of opens things up. And so sometimes it's really helpful to have these memorized habits that when we don't know what to say, we can at least do the Our Father. But even more than that, since so many of us have this memorized, this particular prayer, and if you don't, I really want to encourage you. This is one to memorize, our Father who art in heaven. Since so many of us have it memorized, it is a wonderful pattern to then expand on and fill in some stuff. So here's what I want us to do. As we head towards our time at the Lord's table and more, if you want to take advantage of some of the other prayer stations and just the singing worship, uh, we're going to practice prayer. And I just want us to do the Lord's Prayer together, once through. Especially for those who don't quite have it memorized. Do it with our eyes open, if you want. And then we'll close our eyes. And I'll, t- and I'll guide us through it one sort of line at a time. And then we'll fill in the, the space with the kind of prayers that little, just that little line of prayer um, suggests. And then hopefully, this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, When you're looking for a way to pray, you'll have a sense of how to start this. Uh, It's a great way if you're a couple. Pray through this. putting your kids to bed. Pray with them this way. Sitting there, you know, lunch break. And you just want to be connecting with God for a few minutes? Pray this way. So let us do so. And uh, I'd encourage you to just kind of sit there comfortably. You may want to sort of put your hands open in a posture of receiving uh, on your on your legs, on your on your top of your knees, and if you need to, hear the words on the screen. But let's do this once through, and then we'll go back a second time, and I'll I'll guide us. And this will be our practice, and someday that'll make perfect, right? But let's practice. So let's pray this to a heavenly Father who loves us. Pray with me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray that again. You may want to close your eyes. But that opening line... Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That just tells us God is the one we're approaching. He is worthy of worship, awe, and reverence. And that's the best place to start. Before we start asking for stuff, let's recognize who we're asking. And so pause for a moment and pray what is, in essence, a prayer of praise, of praising God for who he is. So, some attribute, his holiness, that he's creator that he's Redeemer. But just in your own hearts, praise God for being God. Do that. And yes, God, before anything else, we praise you that you are God. You're holy, you're righteous, you're loving. You created everything. And we come before you in prayer. And then it continues. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, as we enter prayer, we recognize we're submitting ourselves to God's authority. That we're seeking his priorities first. And so it's good to pause and be willing to do that. And if it's hard to do, to ask God for the help. (laughs) Um, But in your own hearts, pause and and just tell God, if you're able, God, I am willing to receive your answers. And if you're not quite willing, pray, God, I don't want to give up my will. Show me how or if. Um, But spend a moment praying in that way. So God, we do not want to bend you to our will, but we want our will to be shaped and unleashed, in fact, and set free in the freedom of your will. So show us that, we pray. And then the simplest part of praying is just asking for things we need. And And Jesus continues and says, teaches us to say, give us this day our daily bread. And so it reminds us in that pattern of prayer that God cares about the temporal, the mundane, the everyday stuff of life. And so pray for that. And keep it simple. What do you need sometime in the next 24 hours that you desire an answer from God in that? Whether it's simple and small or complicated and huge. You might as well pray. So Pray. What you need this day. And then Jesus continues, and I love the order that this is in, because next he says, And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And it's good to know that we can ask for things in prayer, whether we have our act all cleaned up and perfect and put together, that God's grace or his gifts are not contingent on our perfection. But we recognize we are imperfect. And so if there's ever a place where name it and claim it was legitimate, it is in the area of our sin. And so spend a moment right now, instead of generically saying, God forgive me for all the stuff I do, drill down on one place where you know you've fallen short, where you've rebelled in some way, where an action or an inaction was truly sin. And just confess that to God. And then work on how you might need to forgive some others if there's those errors in your life. So do that for a few moments. Uh, Thank you for your grace that forgives Jesus. It's good to know he cares about the eternal as well. And it continues as he says, and pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so God cares about everything in between, the temporal and the eternal, the here and now, and the hereafter. And as we get our sins forgiven, we don't need to feel victimized that we'll just fall back into it. We can actually pray God, deliver us from from the habits, from the literal places that we go that make sin so attractive. And we can pray his protection for that spiritual battle, that spiritual warfare that goes on around us and and internally. So pause. It may be related to the sin that you confessed earlier. Pray against the temptation that comes your way for that sin. Pray he'd protect you from going to that place, being in that situation. Spend a moment asking him for that help. Then why don't we lift our eyes. Let's let's say this very last part of the prayer. This is the part that's probably wasn't from the mouth of Jesus. This was what the church then attached to this prayer in recognition of why prayer matters, why it can be effective. In fact, some of the earliest manuscripts of Matthew, not the very earliest, but older ones, these lines start showing up, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And So let's say that together with a sense of confidence that to answer those prayers is God's kingdom and purpose, and he has the power, and it's to his glory to see that happen. And so pray this with me, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I think that was one of Jesus' uh, kind of greatest earthly gifts, you know, was to teach us to pray. But his greatest gift of all was the sacrifice he made so that we could approach God in prayer. And the celebration we have at the Lord's table is a way of remembering that and reenacting it. And if you sincerely were praying, if you're sincerely seeking after Jesus, and you don't have it all perfectly figured out, that's okay. This may be an appropriate way for you to experience God's grace and presence. By tearing a piece of the bread, that sacrament of Christ's broken by, dipping it in the wine of the juice at the, that's labeled there at the two stations, and just taking and eating it for that nourishment, that, that daily bread, that spiritual nourishment. And if that's not quite where you're at, it's okay. In fact, it's incredibly mature to hold off to not go through the motions and pretend, but to just be prayerful, thoughtful, ask God if he's even there, and perhaps use some of the other things around the room. Um, but that time is now open. The table is open, and however, you might else, however else you might want to respond in prayer, uh, feel free to do that. And uh, band, you can start, Scott and Mel, you can start making your way up, and uh, let's continue worshiping.